we have a very special guest. He's special in as much as we've known each other for many years, being colleagues uh, for a number of years on the Elam National Leadership Team. He is a regional leader of London, in which he takes care of two regions, and the, the, th the third region of London, which is the London City region, is the one that I look after, and the two that he looks after form all of Elam's activities in London and beyond. And he looks after around 130 churches, so he's a very busy man. And if we were Anglicans or Episcopalians, that would make him a bishop, and probably even an archbishop. But anyway, he's that important, and he is blessed, and he ministers all over the world when he can when he get away. He's a man who listens to God, and wonderful to have with us today, David Campbell. Invite him to come and minister the Word of God right now. Great to have you with us, David. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Colin. Thank you. Sometimes when I'm introduced, I think, oh, it's not me, it's somebody else. But they sound good. So it's good. It's good to be with you today when the sun is shining. This is what it's usually like in London if you're watching by streaming. The sun shines every day. We're in the middle of a drought now. I'm just waiting to see what the, um, how the council can write to me and say we're having a hosepipe ban this year because they'll, they'll do that anyway, won't they? It's good to be here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit myself. I'm not, I'm not English, in case you don't understand my accent. Um, this is an accent. It's not a speech impediment. This is... Um, when I come from home, everyone speaks like this, except usually they speak a bit faster, like, hey, hello there, how are you doing? So I won't do that for you. I'll try and translate into English for you all the way. And so I'm married to Mandy. We've been married a long, long time, 33 years. We've got two daughters. And uh, but my, <laughs> oh, thank you. Don't applaud, just throw money. Because <laughs> if you've got daughters, you understand that, don't you? So we've got, I've got two daughters, and uh, <clears throat> one, one was married. Sophie and Jamie lead the, the Elam Church in Hoddesdon. They've got a little daughter, uh, Lily Eden, who's two years old. And then my other daughter is, is a single mum, and um, so her name is Amy, and she's got a little girl who's five now. Her name is Nevea. Omalara Kambalajayi, because her daddy's Nigerian. So you've got to watch Nigerians, that's what I'm saying. So, okay. so we've got Nigerian in our family, so that's, that's great too. So I feel at home everywhere I go, but that's great. And that's who we are. We live in St. Albans. It's not that far away from here. But it's great to be here. And uh, in fact, at my age, it's great to be anywhere. And today I want to talk to you a bit about, um, uh, just, I want to hear, I love being a child of God. I'm a third generation Pentecostal. My granny got saved under George Jeffrey's ministry in the 1920s. My dad is an Elam pastor. I'm an Elam pastor. My daughter's married to an Elam pastor. So we're really in the rut in my family, but uh, we're loving it. I mean, I'm a Pentecostal Pentecostal. Do you know you get some non-Pentecostal Pentecostals? Do you know the ones I mean? I think there's something in... Um, British law called the Trees Description Act, and some churches should be closed down because it says Pentecostal on the outside, but something's gone wrong on the inside. I'm a Pentecostal on the inside as well. Anybody else like that? That's encouraging. 
I like to read scripture from John chapter 12. I always say to our pastors, you must always read the scriptures because at least you know something you say is inspired. So John 12 verse 27. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is leading up to the cross. And he says, now my soul is troubled. John 12 verse 27. My soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that they thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Amen. God bless his word. There's only three times in the New Testament when, when the father speaks audibly to the son. And once was at the baptism of Jesus, that time is at the transfiguration of Jesus, and this time. And it's interesting that each time, it's not really my sermon, it's just a throwaway comment to, for parents, that every time the father spoke about the son in public, he said something nice. And I would like to encourage you to speak good things about your children in public, because it's so easy, you know, that we have the goods on them, don't we? It's almost like people say, oh, you're, he's a lovely boy, your son, or she's a lovely girl, and you say, huh, I could tell you a few stories. But please don't tell them a few stories. Say, yes, you're right. Prophesy over them. Speak over their good things. Talk good things about them. And maybe that's what they'll, they'll pick up, and that's what they'll live to. The standard you set is the standard they'll live up to. So the Father, it's very easy for the Father in heaven to say good things about Jesus. So he says... I have glorified you, and I, and I will. But this is the interesting thing. I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. Because when the Father spoke, there was a big group of people, and some said it thundered. Some said it's an angel speaking to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, actually, the Father is speaking for you. Here's the question. Who's telling the truth? Was it thunder? Was it an angel? Or is it the Father? Who's telling the truth? Now, if you've been to Sunday school, you know, you know the answer is always Jesus. So Jesus is telling the truth. But I want to suggest to you that they're all telling the truth. I want to suggest to you that some heard thunder. Some heard it like an angel speaking. And Jesus said, you need to learn to hear as the Son hears. Because the Father's speaking. And I'm going to talk to you about how to hear as a Son. Because maybe... What you hear tells you more about you and where you are than it says about the voice. Maybe what you hear tells you more about your relationship to God the Father than anything else. Because <clears throat> when I was growing up as a little boy in Scotland, um, um, my mum didn't like thunder and lightning, I don't know. Um, she's used to trying to hide it from us, that she, was, she didn't want to pass on the fear. <laughs> but she, she used to close the curtains, close the blinds, and hide under the bed. So we knew, we knew there was something that she's afraid of. 
And I remember saying, Mum, Mum, what is thunder? What is that noise? Because it's just a loud, scary noise up in the sky, isn't it? And she says to me, thunder? Well, that's God moving the furniture around in heaven. Do you know I was 27 before I found out that's not true? <laughs> it seemed to make sense to me. God shifted the furniture. <laughs> because it's a loud, scary noise. And sometimes the idea of meeting with God is a loud, scary noise. If you don't know Jesus, the idea of meeting Jesus in his presence right now would be a really scary thought. If you, in fact, if it is, then maybe you need to think about something today. Maybe you need to think about changing that relationship with God the Father because the idea of seeing him fills you with fear, then maybe you're not a son or a daughter yet. Maybe you need to realize he's loved you and you can give your life to him and enter into a relationship with him. But Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, um, they, they, they just, they, they work all day. And the Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the evening, the end of the days. It'd be, so it's a bit like, you know, hopefully God willing, when the summer comes for three weeks this year. Do you know what I love at the end of the day when my wife and I, we both work long hours, we don't often get home much. And we, but sometimes we, we sit out in our garden in, in Hertfordshire for the sun always shines. Sometimes the sunshine comes in liquid form, but that's a different problem. I was sitting at the end of the day, we both had a busy day, and we sit down there with a, a glass of whatever you, want, you feel Jesus allows you to have. And we're just sitting there and relaxing with one another. And it's the cool of the evening. It's one of my favorite times of the whole day. We just talk about our day, and it's a good day. But my goodness, Adam and Eve had God to talk to. Can you imagine that? I can imagine them saying, hurry up, let's finish what we're doing. The Father's coming. And they were so excited. Until there came one day when they heard the voice of the Father coming, when they heard his presence come, and they tried to hide. Now, why would you do that? In fact, why, why would you hide from God? More than that, why do you think it would work? I've seen I've got um, two grandchildren. My, my youngest one, she's, she's two. And she's just two. And we, we play hide and seek with Lily. And when we say, Lily's turn to hide, she goes, like that. <laughs> and we go, oh, where's Lily? Where's Lily? And then she takes her hands away and we go, oh, there you are. And I tell you, it's a great way to be a hide and seek. Because you don't, <laughs> you don't have to hide anywhere. <laughs> it's a lot easier. And she says, here I am. It's almost, but she thinks, I can't, we don't know where she is. And we have to pretend. But she's got a hat and all around. Where's Lily gone? Can anybody see Lily? And sort of, Adam and Eve go and hide. Can you imagine God going, I wonder where Adam and Eve are. <laughs> oh, I wonder where you're hiding. And how do you do that? You see, sometimes there's a difference when well, the man is hiding from God, whereas, and God's seeking him, whereas God says we should, we should be seeking God rather than God looking for us. In fact, I don't know if you ever play hide and seek. I used to play hide and seek with my children when they're little. And Amy, the one that's the single mum now, uh, when she was little, she had a best friend. And when they were four years old, they used to play hide and seek in our house. And uh, I would play with them because I'm a daddy and I'm one of these soft, silly daddies. 
So we're playing hide and seek. Now, with four-year-olds, you have to have rules, like you're not allowed outside. Because, I mean, the truth is, if it's my turn to hide, I could just jump in the car and drive away, and I would win. <laughs> that would make life a lot easier. I could just run away and hide. I said, you have to stay in this room. You can't go anywhere else. So, so I would come my eyes up and say, one, two, three, four, and I count to whatever number. One, two, miss a few hundred. You know that, because they can't count anyway. So, so right, ready, I come. Right, and, I'd, and, I'd, and I'd look all these places. They're there, here, they're there. And then it would come my turn to hide. Now, we don't live in a very big house. <laughs> and our, our sort of lounge is, is not particularly large. And so when it comes to hide, I, I, I hide and they both look for me. Two of them, two against one. It's not fair. So I said, okay, um, you cover your eyes. Because they can't count, I had to count and hide. So I made it really hard. I threw my voice around the room going, one, two, three. And then I hid behind the curtains. Because there's not many places when you're my size you want to hide. <laughs> I'd once hidden under the, chair, under the table and chairs. That was not comfortable. And once before, I'd hidden behind the settee, but I'd get stuck and I had to get my wife to get me out. And that, that was very embarrassing, so I'm not doing that again. So I'm behind, behind the curtains and going, right, come and get me. And I've got to tell you, if you're a little bit big like me, and if you're watching on the overflow, or, or just, um, the camera just makes people look overweight. <laughs> I, it makes me about four, five, ten stone more than I really am. But anyway, I don't know about many places to hide, really. But if, if you have little children looking for you, it's wonderful. The places they look. We don't, we've got a cupboard by our fireside. They open this cupboard going, is he in there? I go, oh, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't get a leg in there. Well, thank you. They're in all these places. And I'm standing. But after a while, they didn't find me. And I'm thinking, something's wrong here. Because so I'm standing behind the curtains, and the curtains come down like that. <laughs> and my feet are sticking at the bottom, so it shouldn't be that hard to find me, really, when you think about it. And hey, hey, hey. So I peek behind the curtains from behind, and they were watching TV. <laughs> Peppa Pig had come on, and Daddy was left behind again. And I said, Daddy could have died behind there. <laughs> it's like you open a cupboard. And you find a skeleton and it says, oh, hide and seek champion, 1957. <laughs> That's where he went. Because the idea of hide and seek is that you find him, isn't it? So when God hides, appears to hide from us, he said, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. But you're saying, I'm not hiding from you, I'm hiding for you. So by the time you find me, your heart will be ready so we can actually do business. I'm not hiding from you, because if God hid from us, we'd never find him. But he hides for us. Adam's trying to hide from him. Why? Because something happened that day. Something's gone wrong in the Garden of Eden, the most perfect environment ever. Because as Adam and Eve were sitting there, I don't know, the snake came in. I don't know what Adam was doing, but Eve gets to deal with a snake. Something, it's a funny family, isn't it? And a snake goes in the house, and the wife has to deal with it. And the serpent says to Eve, can you eat of all the trees? She said, well, just said we, we, can, we can eat of them all except one. I know what the serpent says to you, know, you know why? Because God says, if you eat from that, you'll become like him. And he doesn't want you to become like him. 
you want to eat that. It's lovely fruit. So what the Satan said was, this will make you like God. That's chapter 3. Now, I think most people here have read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Yes? I'll tell you why. Because every year, Christians say, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And everybody gets through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Exodus sort of slows you up. By the time you hit Leviticus and Numbers, you think, there's always next year. We can, we can do that. But here's the question for you, because it says in, it's actually chapter 1, where, where God says, let us make man in our image. Is that right? Chapter 1, God says, we'll make, we'll make man, and we'll, we'll make man in, in our image. So we already like God. Now, here's another question. I know it's hard. Which comes first, chapter 1 or chapter 3? You don't trust me, do you? <laughs> chapter 1 comes before chapter 3. In chapter 1, God says, you're made in my image. In chapter 3, Satan says, God wants you to, he doesn't want you to be like him. The day you forget what God's told you, that you're made in his image, but the day you forget your destiny and purpose and the reason why you're here, you will listen to the lies of the enemy to try and receive something that you've already got. He's got nothing to give you because God has given you all things through Jesus Christ, his son. He's got nothing to have to offer you because we've got everything that we need. But they sort of believe it. And later on, they get into trouble for it. You know, it's, it's like um, Adam blames his wife. Now, that's a tradition that's gone on for years. Adam says, it's not my fault, the wife, she gave it to me. And, I, and <coughs> he blamed the stake. And the stake didn't have a leg to stand on. And he got all the blame. So that was the way it went. But something had happened to, to, to Adam and Eve, what was a sound which was wonderful for them to hear, suddenly becomes thunder. When there's sin in your life, when you're not in a good place with God, his voice becomes a scary thing. I'd like to say to you, please, if you watch, whatever you're watching on the internet or, you're, or, or on the overflow or, or coronet or, or here, whichever part, please, don't be afraid of him. He's a God who loves you. He's a, because when you know that he loves you, you're no longer afraid. Because love casts out all fear. When you know that God loves you and he sent his son to die in your place, your life changes forever. You need to receive his love in Jesus Christ and be forgiven. So our love changes our lives forever and ever. So some people said it thundered. Some people said, you know, it's an angel speaking to him. And that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Now, what they're saying is, something amazing is happening here. Can I many of you know if an angel appeared here, we'd all be listening to what he was going to say? I don't know how you would feel if you walked into your lounge today and an angel was standing there, an eight-foot-tall angel shining bright. Have you noticed what the angels always say, their first words to people? Fear not. Now, why would that be? I think an angel's first words to me would be, oh, come back. <laughs> or come out from under that bed. I don't know what he'd say, because it's almost, wow, wow. But this is an almost, it's supernatural, but I don't want anything to do with it, really. It's for somebody else. It is possible to come to this church and any church and to listen to all sorts of sermons and always think they're for somebody else. In fact, it's possible that you've sat through loads and loads of ministry and thought, I am going to get this CD for somebody I know. 
I'm going to send it. I'm going to say to somebody, you should listen to this. Can I just say to you, you need to listen to this. Because the Father's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. And it's possible to hear for other people. To count yourself out. But there's a story in the Bible earlier on in John's Gospel, John chapter 5, where it's called the Pool of Bethesda. There's a, man, a lame man at the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda is like a big pool about the size of, of, of downstairs here in the main auditorium of Kensington Temple. And um, it, it was just beside a, a path that led to a gateway that went into the temple. And so there's a it's a, I think it's a funny story. I never quite know. It almost sounds, sounds superstitious, except it's in the Bible, so it's true. It said that ever so often, an angel would come down and would trouble the waters. And I don't know what it did. I don't know, how, how do you trouble waters? You've threatened it? I don't know. But I think probably dipped a foot in, but they didn't see the angel. They just saw the water being troubled. And the Bible says that the first person in the water got healed. Now, I don't think it was just a myth, because the Bible says it actually happened, so it actually happened. And also, people were there. This man was there for 38 years, so you don't hang around if nothing's happening for 38 years, do you? So, something's up. People were being healed. And Jesus comes up to this man, and a man who, I think he's lame, I didn't say it, but I think he's lame, because he can't walk very well, and says to him, in fact, actually, this man is begging for arms, which is a shame, because he wanted legs. Stay with me. It'll make it life easier for all of us, really. Trust me. And Jesus says to this man, now, this man's been waiting for 38 years to be healed. Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Now, don't tell Jesus I said this. I think that's a bit rude. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you decide to go to Wimbledon this year? And you just, you, you get a tent and you pitch up outside because you want tickets. And you sleep outside for a week. And then they open the door and the man says, do you want to come in? And you go, silly man. I'm here all week. This man's been waiting for 38 years. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Now, it's not as daft a question as it sounds. Because although this man's where there's been lots of healing, this, it's interesting because maybe I said, it was the first person in gets healed. Second person doesn't. So the first person in gets healed. If it was you, and you really, 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 really want to be healed more than anything else in the world, where would you be sitting? I'd be sitting at the water's edge. I'd have a little chair, a little stool, one of Colin Dye's books. And I'd sit and I'd just be going like that, my foot in and out the water, going, I'll be first. I don't get what happens, I'll be first. I wouldn't be sitting up there. I'd be down here. Especially if I can't walk. Because if you can't walk, it's going to take you a long time to get from up there to down here. And if you start going from up there to down there, somebody will say, where's he, oh, where's he going? Look, look, jump in. and somebody else again before you. So if you really want it, so if you really want me to get in, you would, you'd be closer. So when Jesus says to him, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you sure when you come to this church? Are you sure when whatever you're watching from? Are you sure that you really want to be touched by the Holy Spirit? Or do you, forgive me, do you just like being around the action? Does it make you feel good to be close to it? Because the Father's speaking to you today. It's your chance to have the miracle. Because, remember we said only the first person gets healed. 
But also, where this man was, was probably one of the best begging sites in the whole of Israel. Some places are better to get money than others. Because at this point, where he went in, people gave alms, they gave money to the poor on a pilgrimage. And he was just before they went in to the, um, the temple, so he was probably picking up quite a lot of money. I don't know if anybody here sells the big issue. If you do, thank you. But um, I used to buy it a lot. But it's up in town, uh, in St. Albans, I would buy the big issue and buy it from the same man. I don't really understand. I think I've been buying it off him for 15 years. So I thought it was meant to get you a job, but he's made a career out of it. So, um, but I, I talked to him. And one day I, I was talking away to him and I, was, and I said to him, um, you've got a good sight here. Because he sells the big issue right beside the hole in the wall on the Nat West Bank. So you can never see you haven't got any money. He always says, oh, I've got change. All right. And I, 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 in fact, I said to him, you've got, this must be a great site that you have. Nobody said, this is the second best site in the whole of St. Albans. Now, you want to know what the best site is as well, don't you? Oh, so did I. Not because I'm thinking of changing careers, although it's good to have something in the background just in case everything goes bad. I said, so where's the best spot? He said, over there, outside Marks and Spencer's food hall. That's the best place. I said, really? He said, yeah, they hardly ever ask you for the change. It's fantastic. So I said, well, where's the worst place? Worst place? I'm glad he didn't say it was outside the church. He said, outside Tesco's. They ask you for the last penny. They wait for you. They won't give it to you unless you get the right money. I said, why don't you go over? Why don't you go over outside Marks and Spencer's then? You know what he said? Oh, that's Mary's spot. I said, well, who's Mary? So she's been doing it the longest. When Mary dies, I'm going to move over there. <laughs> I said, really? I said, really? So that was the best spot in the whole St. Almonds because, because they got most money. This man is at the top of his profession. He is the best paid beggar in Israel. He, he, he is in a place that's got the richest pickings. He's a professional because actually the, the, um, the temple would give you like, um, like a cloak or something that went around you. That was like your badge. You know, nowadays they have a badge. Just say who they are. They're official sellers of the big issue. Well, here you'd have like a cloak. And that would mean you were allowed. You weren't pretending to be lame. You weren't pretending to be blind. You were, you were licensed and you were kosher, the real thing. In fact, remember blind Bartimaeus? The Bible says, says that when he heard Jesus, he had this cloak. When he heard Jesus, he put his coat down and he, he went to Jesus. Because that was a phenomenal act of faith. Because forgive me, when you're blind, if you put something valuable down, you're blind. You probably won't get it back. And he just put it down because he was saying, I won't need this. If I can get to Jesus, I'll be healed. That man was moving in phenomenal faith. This man isn't. This man's got his cloak all the way around him. He's letting sure that everybody sees him. But another thing about the man that, that I find interesting, the sells a big issue to me, and I've known him for more than 20 years, I don't know his name. I used to know his name. Do you know, do you know what it's like sometimes, maybe it happens to you at church, you, you meet somebody and say, oh, what's your name? Oh, my name's David, what's your name? And they tell you their name. And then maybe next week you meet them again and you think, if you're like me, I have a dreadful memory for names. I mean, hopeless. Sometimes I write my name in my own jacket, so just in case I forget. 
and say, so, 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 so I've forgotten your name. What was your name again? And they tell you. But by the third week, you don't want to ask them anymore, do you? So for the next 20 years, you say, hi, brother. <laughs> hi, sister, because you don't know their name. And the man at, at the, the cash point by the NatWest Bank selling the big issue in St. Albans, I don't know his name. He's got a badge, but when you're my age, you can't read it. Be, you better just ask him. So I don't know what his name is. But everybody I know in St. Albans, if I say to them, do you know the guy that sells the big issue by the NatWest? I know who you mean. Do you know his name? No, I don't. Nice man, nice man. But no, I don't know his name. This man, we don't know his name. He is the beggar who sits by the gate near the pool of Bethesda. That's who he is. And Jesus says, are you sure you won't be healed? Because the day you're healed, you'll stop being a beggar who sits by the gate. You'll have a new identity. Are you sure that actually, who will you be? Some people are, identify themselves by their problem. Some people sometimes, we're the person with that problem. That's the lady with that problem. That's the man with that problem. What will you do? Who will you be when Jesus sets you free from that? Who will you be when Jesus answers that problem? Well, you... Can you imagine when he's healed, going down the dole office and saying, I'm unemployed, I'm looking for a job, and said, well, what can you do? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a beggar, really. He said, we can't be doing that anymore. Well, what can I do? I don't know. I can't do anything else. If he, if he was laying for 38, if he'd been there for 38 years, I'm not sure how long this all works, but he must be nearly 40 years, and if, if he'd been begging for 38 years, then he would have... He couldn't have started that until he was 12. But you make him 50 years old, but it's made him older than the average life expectancy at the time of Jesus. He's one of the oldest people he knew. And it's too late to learn a new job. But Jesus is about to give him his own identity back. Can I just say to you, sometimes we're not sure if we really want to be changed because it's scary. Rather, the darkness we know than the light we're afraid of. Don't be afraid. He's coming for you today to do something. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? That sounds really simple, doesn't it? It sounds like the way sort of a, my wife speaks to me sometimes. Do you want a cup of tea? Yes or no? It's, like, it's not like, what would you, like, there's only two answers to this question. Do you want to be healed? Answer, yes or answer, no. Do you, understand? Do you agree with me? But when Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Do you know what his answer is? Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, but even as I come, look, somebody else gets in before me. You think, I don't think Jesus asked what happened. And you know what he's saying really is, it's not my fault. Don't start blaming me, I can't walk. Do you know in this church, nobody helps you. I'm limping along, somebody gets, the water gets disturbed, you're on your own, you're on your own, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll go and eat worms, have you had that, big fat juicy ones, wee skin malinky ones, see how they wiggle and squirm, I think I'll go and eat worms, I feel sorry for myself, if I was Jesus, I would have said, you've got attitude, anybody else here want to be healed? You're too complicated. I'll leave you to yourself. It's almost like, I'm not here for an argument. If you don't want to be healed, just say so. Just, just, just stay there. Just stay there. But he doesn't. 
Jesus actually answers him and says, well, take up your bed and walk. But that's not what the man said. Aren't you glad that sometimes Jesus doesn't answer your prayer? Aren't you glad that sometimes he just ignores what you say? You know, it's a bit like your children ask for things. You go, no, no. Mommy, can I stay up to midnight? No, no. I remember when my daughters were growing up, my 14-year-old said she wanted to go somewhere. Because children, they learn things from each other, don't they? It's almost like they, they go to class about how to manipulate parents. And I remember sort of my daughter, she desperately wanted to go somewhere. I said, no, you're not going, darling. You're not going. And she said, oh, please, everybody else is going. I said, I don't care. You're not going. We don't do those things. It's just the way it is. And she said to me, it's like a trump card. I just see it now, like somebody told her, this is what you say then. Daddy, don't you trust me? I said, darling, princess, of course I don't trust you. You're 14. Of course I don't trust you. I didn't trust me at 14. I don't trust you at 14. That's why you're the child and I'm the parent. That's why you'd love to go and I say, no, you're not. That's why, no, of course I don't trust you. Because, and later on, when Sophie spoke to me, she said, Dad, that was so helpful for me. That was so releasing that actually you wouldn't let me do some of the things that got my friends into trouble later on because you said, no, you're not. And sometimes when we ask God things, and Father, would you do? He didn't just say no. Father, would you do this? He goes, <laughs> No, don't be so silly. When you've grown up a bit, you'll understand that was a really daft request. Now I'll give you what you really need. And you've never ever received a gift from God that said that wasn't really what I wanted. Really, God's not like your auntie that gives you socks at Christmas. He's the one who gives you the desires of your heart, even when you don't know the desires of your heart. So, Jesus just says, I'm going to give you mercy. Give you mercy. I'm not going to give you what you ask for. I'm not even going to give you what you deserve. I never ask God for justice. Do you know what I mean? God, give me justice. Please don't pray that. I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. I live under the mercy and the grace of God. Why? Because I'm a child of the living God. I don't live under his judgment. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And the Lord, God's not stopped judging sin, but by his mercy, he sent his son to pay the price for that. So as we don't pay the price. But almost like we exchange our sinfulness for his righteousness. Oh, that's, that's the greatest swap in history. But here's the last point I'm going to go to, not to finish with this. Jesus said to them, actually, you know, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. The Father is trying to speak to you. And whatever you're doing right now, the, the, hear this, the Father's trying to speak to you. It's for your sake the voice has come. Because he wants to do something great and amazing in our hearts and lives. I almost feel like I want to be prophetic and say something to you. I believe that this is a season when God is showing the church that he is in love with us all over again. I, just, I didn't say this in the first service, but this is different because I just believe almost like there's a new anointing coming to the church, an anointing which is releasing pay, people from slavery into sonship. Now, when I say sonship, you do understand, ladies, I mean sons and daughters. 
I know it's hard to be called a son, but you should sit through the teaching of the bride when you're a man. That's not much fun either. So, so it's to do with sonship because we all inherit. But God is saying to us, I'm, I'm, I don't call you slaves. I call you sons and friends. And there's an anointing coming which is releasing the church from being what we thought we were. I tell you, you know, this, is this all right for you? Are you enjoying yourself? Is it nice to enjoy church? I don't know you're allowed to enjoy it. it. Took me a while to catch on. Because the God, the, the, the God who loves us wants to transform your life. Because when you know how much he loves you, he changes. Do you ever feel as if you don't love God enough? Oh, God, I wish you... I'd say every time, if I went through a period of a few months just recently, praying, God, help me love you more. I just feel I don't love you. And I think I love him more than I ever have. So I'm not backslidden. I just want to love him more than I do. Does anyone else understand? I just, oh, God, I want to love you more. And I think, so how can I love God more? Let me do more for him. But what does he need? What can I give him? And it's almost like the way to, here's a, here's a revelation for you how to love God more, all right? John says, here in his love, not that we love him, but that he first loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sin. In other words, when we realize how much he loves us, then we're able to love him back. I'll give you an example. I used, in a former life, I used to be an accountant, and that's a Scottish accountant, so I'm a very mean person. And when I walked to this office, there's a, the boss was one of, I don't know how to say this, you know, some people, when, when Jesus gave out niceness, it was their day off and they missed it. He wasn't there the day they gave out all the nice gifts. And people that didn't like him at all. And in fact, <clears throat> I remember we had a big open plan office and he had a little office to himself. We liked it that way. And I can remember accountants, qualified accountants, take these big ledger books. That's how long ago it was before computers really took off. And he'd take these books into his office and he found a mistake on it. He'd throw it across the room and shout at them. And you see these men picking it up and we're all, we're all trying to pretend we hadn't seen it. Secretaries would come in his office and come out weeping and crying. And I was the junior, you know, I was just begun. I kept my head well down. And when you're in my big, that's not easy. But I kept my head down. And when it came to holidays, we were allowed two weeks holiday, but he was allowed to take three anytime he liked. We would have given him three months off. And he went off on holiday. And everyone thought, was so happy about it. They wasn't there. The office was like a different place. People brought sweeties in. We had coffee cups on the, t- on the desk, which is not good, but it was more fun. And somebody actually put on, up on the wall a big um, calendar with a countdown to the day he was coming back. And on the day that he was coming back, there's a skull and crossbones there. Black Monday, that's when he's coming back. And on the Friday, sort of three weeks, it was just great fun. I can't tell you what the difference was. On Friday, was just, everyone said, make sure you're early. Don't be late. Whatever you do, don't be late on Monday. Because he always comes back from the hall in a foul mood. Because what I didn't tell you about him was he was single. And if you met him, you'd have understood why he was single. He said he's been on holiday with himself for three weeks. That's enough to put anyone in a bad mood to be with him for three weeks. So I got in early. I was in there really early, and and and, and so was starting. And he went and saw one of the directors and and, and the shipyards where I worked. And 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 he he came into our office whistling. And went straight past us into his little office. The Margaret who worked opposite me at the desk, she says to me. 
he's going to sack somebody. Last time he came back from holiday Harpy, do you remember he sacked Robert, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He said, he's going to sack Robert. And then nothing happened as the day went on. And then one of the secretaries took something in for signature, and she came out, and she said, she's got this piece of paper, she goes, you know how you can speak without making words come out? He said, thank you. So what did she say? He said, thank you. He said, thank you. He said, all around the office, he said, thank you. And <clears throat> Margaret says to me, He's got a brain tumor. He's got a brain tumor. That's the only thing. You don't change that much. Something wrong. He's dying. He's got a brain tumor. You should be sorry for him. So we, by coffee break in the afternoon, we made Margaret go in because she'd been working. She'd been working there since the Dead Sea was just feeling not very well. So we sent her in to find out. And this is, I'll tell you about the short version. He went on one of these holidays and he met a lady who'd never met him before, but she was an advantage. And he'd fallen in love. And she'd fallen in love with him. And he was so much in love with her that when he came to work, he forgot to be nasty to us. That's how the love of God works. He loves us here in his love that he first loved us. When you realize how much he loves you, you let that love fill your heart. You find out you even start loving yourself in a good way. And there's so much love, there's enough left over for everybody else. So the way to love God more isn't by working harder. It's by leaning back into daddy's arms. It's knowing the father of love and letting his love hold you around. Because he's changed you. And because the last little story I'm going to tell you is that he's changed, even what he says, changes from being commands into promises. This, this changed my life, this. The story's told of a little boy, and he's this many years ago now, but he was about nine or ten years old, and both his parents died. And no one was there to look after him. He was just an orphan on the streets. And so what did he do? Well, he stole food. He went run bins, and sometimes he stole food from people. And actually, you know, I know it's wrong to steal, but a bit of me thinks, well, bless you. Come around my house, you wouldn't have to steal. I'd give you food. But he stole. And he found out he was quite good at stealing. And he, as he grew a bit bigger, he could steal off bigger people. He mugged people. He stole from people. Because, see, there comes a time in life when you stop keeping bad company and you become bad company. He became bad company. He was the sort of person, if you saw him come along the street, you would cross on the other side, especially if it was getting dark. But he found out he was very good at one particular crime. He could break into people's houses when they weren't there. And he'd take some of their money and their treasures. So he was a thief. That's all he was, a thief. And he was the sort of person even thieves kept away from because he's a violent man. And now he's in his 30s, and he meets a little old lady in the street. And this little old lady gives him a tract and says, do you know there's a God in heaven who loves you? He says, no. He'd never even heard of anybody that liked him. Never mind a God that loved him. And she said, there's God in heaven who loves you so much, he sent his son to die on a cross for you. That he might pay for all the bad things you've done. He says, I've done a lot of bad things. And the lady says to him, I can believe that. But he's paid the price for all those so you don't have to. And if you ask him now, he'll come in your life and he'll forgive you and he'll change you forever. 
And she said, do you want to do that? And the Holy Spirit convicted his heart. And he said, yes, I do. So he knelt down in the street beside this little old lady and gave his life to Jesus. And that was Saturday afternoon. And little old lady, because little old ladies can be quite scary, you know. She pointed her finger up and said, now listen to me, young man. You must go to church tomorrow. You understand? Tomorrow morning you go to church. He said, yes. He said, promise me now. You go to church tomorrow morning. He said, yes, yes, I will. But the thing was, he didn't know where there was a church. He never met anyone from Kensington Temple. Otherwise, he'd been here. He thought, but I know what church looks like. It's like a steeple. A steeple. And um, has stained glass windows. I'll go to one of them. I'll find one of them. So he went looking until he could find a steeple with stained glass windows. And he stood outside for a while and he saw people arriving. And to be honest with you, he was a bit scruffy. And he could see people arriving really, really well dressed. It's one of these churches where people went in suits, in shirts and ties. Like, I used, I used to wear a tie. I, I had a tie, but I took it back because it was too tight. <laughs> and as he, watched, as he watched these people coming in, he thought, you know, I wish I'd clean my shoes a bit. I wish I'd... And a couple of people thought, you know, I think I've been in your house. And he went and sat at the back. And lots of people came in who were all happy and, and it looked like they knew their way around. They sung hymns and he didn't know any of them. Didn't know any of the hymns. Didn't know any of the, went to stand up, went to sit down. He felt really uncomfortable. He looked across at one point and thought, I'm sure that's a policeman over there. Because forgive me if you're a policeman, you can still tell. Sure, I'm sure he's arrested me once. I'm sure I've been in their house. And so he's feeling very uncomfortable, even during the sermon, but... As you look right, because stained glass windows in churches used to tell stories. Sometimes they'd have like stories of Jesus or the great saints, and the the the, the vicar would use that point to that every week and tell a different story to help people in the olden days that couldn't read very well. And this church had the Ten Commandments all around. Each window had one of the Ten Commandments. Now, some of you are ahead of me, but this is my story, so you got to stay with me. All right. As he sat there, the sun shone through and hit him in the face. As he turned towards the window, guess which of the Ten Commandments was illuminated as he looked? Thou shalt not steal. How do you think he felt? Let me tell you how he felt. He went, wow. That's wonderful news. Oh, I will never steal again. Why? Because nobody told him there was the Ten Commandments. He thought, God's taught me. I will never steal again. When you become a child of God, his commandments become promises. He won't steal. He's changed. His voice changes from being loudly authoritarian. You must, you must, you must, you must. But he's said, no, you won't. In fact, let me read to you. Ten things, ten promises. You might recognize them from Exodus 20. It says, you won't have other gods before me. You won't. Why? Because you've met me. And once you've met God, it's like having a full-color, 3D, 50-inch TV, and somebody says, do you want to go buy my little black and white 12-inch? No, thank you very much. I've got the living God. No, I won't be going back. 
You will not make you won't make false images. Why? Because why would I make an idol to bow down when I've met the living God? No, I won't be doing that. You will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. No, you won't. Why? Because we love that name. I love that name, that name of Jesus. You won't. You won't be taking the name of the Lord in vain. You, you will have a Sabbath. You'll learn to enter into his rest. You will. You will honor your father and your mother. You will. I'll give you the ability to forgive all their, all, all their feelings. I'll give you the ability to honor, even though they maybe weren't very good. I'm going to give you the ability to still love your mum and dad and to honor them. You will. You will honor them. You won't murder anyone. He won't, because even, even those who have done the worst thing to you, I'm going to give you grace for. You won't go and commit adultery. Why? Because, because I'm going to give you love for your wife. I'm going to give you love for your husband. A threefold cord will not easily be broken. Now, I'm involved in your marriage. You won't go and be unfaithful, because I'll give you a spirit of faithfulness. You won't steal. You shall not steal. Why? Because I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'll provide everything you need. You won't need to steal. My children don't go begging for bread. I'll give you everything you need. You won't steal. Do you understand where I'm going? You won't bear false witness. Why? Because I'll put the truth in your mouth. And the truth will set you free. The last one. You will not covet. You won't covet. Why? Because I'll so bless you that everyone will be jealous of you. You won't be jealous of anybody, but I'll put the blessing of God on you. Can you understand? But commands have become promises in Jesus Christ. I like to stand in a moment. We're going to pray something because I want us to, to realize we're no longer under the law, but under grace. That we still keep the commandments, not because we have to, it's because we want to. And actually, now it doesn't become an impossible thing to live, but it becomes a very possible thing. Because everything he asks you to do, he gives you the strength to do. So wherever you are right now, can we just stand for a moment? Are you comfortable to do that? I like to pray over you, that God releases you from feeling you have to obey the law, have to make yourself love him, to realize he loves you, and to change commands into promises. Father, Lift your hands to heaven, and I pray, Father, we raise our hands into the very presence of the Most High God, and I pray we might touch heaven and bring the glory of God down, that we might not be afraid. Now, Lord, we just want to love you more, but I realize it's not by making ourselves love you more. It's by realizing how much you love me. And when I, when I realize how much you love me, your love fills my heart. That's the agape love. And I have so much agape love, I, I love you back with the same love, and I have enough left over for everybody else. And Lord, I, I want to hear as a son, I don't hear commands. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But I hear the promises that you've set me free from the law of sin and death. But the spirit of life has set me free that I might have commandments changed into promises in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a great clap. Say thank you, Father God.